Hello, and welcome to episode 200 of Relics of Ore. I'm your host, Grybok, and joining me for a full cast today are my wonderful co-hosts, Spirit, Shongaku, and Vrabin. How are you doing today, Shongaku? I'm doing great. We have actually reached 200. You guys have been just cranking them out. Sort of. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, so I, yeah, actually, I, I define cranking them out as like, you know, once a month, once every two months. That's cranking them out. Yeah, it's, uh, well, you know, it adds up over time, especially when, you know, the host, the show has been hosted by multiple people over the years. But uh, we're, we're here, a semi-momentous occasion. So I'm glad that we could get you onto the show for such an episode. And yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, it should be good. I, I'm sad we didn't get you for last episode, but we can probably cross-talk some of the things that we were uh, talking about last episode and get your take on them. And also joining us is Vrabin. How are you doing this night? I'm not prepared, and that, I'm happy to be here. That's perfect. I don't think any of us are really prepared, except for Spirit, who just took 10 minutes preparing. Well, I had to say it, because <laughs> we were talking about Matthew Mercer in the pre-show. Yeah, well... Uh, <laughs> It's technically, uh, technically that that was uh, Liam O'Brien who does. Oh, that. I'm confusing. You are not prepared. Okay, sorry. But yes, but they are on the same RPG podcast or a video cast thing. So you're you're within the same. You're within the ballpark. Yeah, you got you got the right uh, meta there. Okay. Yeah. And how are you doing this evening, Spirit? I am doing well. That is, is excellent. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited to talk about the Capital D Druids today. Oh my god, Capital D when Druids. You... Yep. Quick question, Spirit. When you uh -huh. started, like, you are the longest running person on the show at this point. Did you think that we would hit 200? Uh, I had no idea what I was getting into when I started this. Um, I don't, I don't know. In recent times, I was like, yeah, I think we'll probably keep going until we're past 200. Like, I don't feel any reason to stop, but I didn't, I don't think I ever imagined it would get this big now. That was a complete non-answer. I am so sorry. No, that, that, that's kind of what I was looking for when I, yeah. I feel like complete non-answers are what we're all about here. So, sure. you know, it's in keeping. Uh, yeah, anyway, so this episode we are mostly going to be trying to focus on sort of the map and the masteries and the various events slash quest lines slash lore bits that are part of the map rather than directly part of the story. But as I said, we'll probably get a little bit of crosstalk since since Eric's here and was not That's here last bizarre. time. Yeah, exactly. Do you want to you want to just get a few words in about Balthazar because I feel like I could just imagine your face when this reveal happened and so with during that fight I was looking and I was going okay so since I knew they were going to reveal who Lazarus was I figured they would be hinting at it through the fight so I was sitting there while he, while fire was going everywhere and I was like who does fire magic like I was looking at all of his skills and I was like that's interesting that he's only using fire. I'm like, wonder what that means. Like, who could that possibly be? And I'm just sitting there. And then all of a sudden, Balthazar, I'm like, oh, that's right. He does, he does fire. That, that makes sense. But also, <laughs> why is he doing what he's doing? Like, it's, I mean, I've theorized on the show that the gods were scared of the dragons. So I guess it kind of makes sense that they're coming back and they're like, Oh, you killed a few sweet. They're not going to eat us anymore. So, because as, as uh timey told us, he's pure magic. So, I mean, that's, that's like, that's like a, 
It's like sticking, like, you know, that's like sticking food in front of someone who really likes to eat and being like, here, eat this, I guess. Oh boy! From a dragon's perspective, I hope that's yeah, what you mean. yeah. From a dragon's perspective, <laughs> you know, it's it, so it's interesting that they are coming back. That they are that he was okay with. It's weird that he was okay with nuking the planet. In all honesty, I thought that was strange. Can I go yeah, full spoilers no on honor. this? Yeah, oh, we absolutely. was full spoilers last week. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Because it, it's just it it they put so much effort into moving to Tyria that. Either A, the dragons are that big of a threat to their mantles, or B, they no longer need it because they're moving on to something else, which is weird to me. I don't know how it plays into the greater narrative of the gods and the fight with their uh, with their extended family. And that's that's kind of what I'm most curious about is like, why is all of a sudden them why do they no longer have to like bunker down on Tyria? What has what has changed in the mists? Okay, since you mentioned the gods and their extended family um, have you heard the theory, I think it's a theory out there, that perhaps, because, you know, Lissa and Iss, or L- Lissa and Iss, or what, is that that right? Two beings. Lissa and Ilya. There you go. They're two beings. Do you think it's possible that one of them is helping Balthazar and the other one isn't? Eh, I, th- I think Balthazar is the attack dog for the gods, in all honesty. Uh, so I don't, I don't think that necessarily, I think he's working for them. I, I, I'm not sure I buy into the theory that the, uh, that the, that Balthazar has gone rogue. I think if if, if you guys recall from the uh, I was actually talking to you guys about this in the pre-show, the fact that in the in Guild Wars one, the stories that the gods told about when they first came, Melandru came first, set things up, prepped the world for them, and then over time they came, and then finally Balthazar shows up and he's got the head of his dad. It seems like he's like the vanguard, the the attack dog, the one that when they need something done, that's military they just send in balthazar and i feel like that's what has happened it is kind of weird that he was being sneaky but espionage is a military i mean it's part of it military tactics so yeah i mean it i cannot i don't think he would be i think he prefers a straight up battle i think he was probably pretty cool with us like revealing him he was just like oh okay cool i don't have to i don't have to follow my tactician lissa's and Ilya's opinion anymore i can just do my thing so that's, I think that's where we're at. Is like the question is though, what does it mean that the uh, these superpowered beings have decided that uh, that uh, they no longer need humans? I mean, it is kind of weird because what's that going to do for like like I can I can summon Hounds of Balthazar right now. I mean, I, I got them right here looking at them, and that's interesting. That uh, well, I mean, I I mean that's that's ludo narrative yeah. distance where things don't necessarily connect. Because you, you could argue we used to mechanic. the tooltip for the uh, drop on the engineer said from a uh, a Zern satellite at one point, and that was changed. So I don't think we can draw too much yeah. lore from. Was it really? Well, wasn't it something like that? Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I know it was, was, but I didn't realize yeah. it was changed. Yeah, it's no longer in there. Uh, interesting. Well, actually, it's interesting with the with Hounds of Balthazar is that might actually be tying more into what the undead did in. Uh, in or is that they could actually channel Balthazar's pow- mantle, even though Balthazar would be theoretically against the undead dragons. So maybe that's what we're doing: is we just happen to be able to chant, tap into their mantle due to some preordained systemic universal. Well, so that means that law. aspects of their power are left on Tyria that aren't core them. 
And isn't didn't one of the Priory theorize that there's like some sort of machine underneath the altered Alyssa? That's why the priestess Alyssa was, you know, under Zaitan's control, but able to, able to channel such mesmeric powers? Or am I just completely going off on a... I don't know. That's a the only th- I mean, the only thing I know that's under the Temple of Alyssa is the crypts. So I don't know. All I have to say is that tinfoil sales are <laughs> going through the roof right now. And I, it is I exactly what I was prices hoping. are yeah. as high as hardened leather. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. I did appreciate the uh, tw- the tweet with the uh, tinfoil hat that you guys sent me. Yeah, yeah. I it's great. It's it's great to have you back on the show, Eric. Nobody nobody thinks in the way that you do, and I mean that. <laughs> however, you'll take it. Actually, <laughs> I'll, I'll accept that. There, I'm going to go actually. Also, while you guys are, uh, I'll let you guys continue. I'm going to go talk to people at the. Uh, at the well, actually, Lissa is a Lissa's altar is a giant machine. I'm I'm there right now. It is a massive machine. Uh, and isn't okay. Got, so if that's what it was, isn't that how we the humans maybe determined that the gods are still answering prayers because that form of power, that thing, is still there, and that's what's doing it, not them. Yeah, like it's know. an automated connection to mm-hmm. their to their power. You got the voicemail of the gods. <laughs> I feel like new well, phone. I mean, this. Yeah, that's why that's why monks are not so powerful anymore, is because they uh, they they're getting voicemail rather than direct lines. Yeah. Um. Anyway, but let's talk let's talk about the map a little bit. Uh, do we want to talk about the map or the mastery first? Because the mastery sort of ties into the exploration of the map, but uh, I think the mastery. Yeah, I've had a lot of fun with the map and seeming to be able to get whatever I want, and I don't have enough points to get the mastery yet. Because I guess I'm just too, it's I, it's b- bother for me to get mastery points, and I'm like, well, I'll just do this the other way. And it looks fun sl- slinging around like Spider-Man, but you gotta go farm points, and I don't want to. I think there's only a few things that you absolutely like. I think the the jumping puzzle requires the mastery. Is there anything else that absolutely requires the mastery to do on the map? I don't, um definitely nothing in the story or in the like meta boss encounters. Uh-huh. Which is something so I kind of want to talk about because it's yeah. it's it's a really cool tech and I really like it and I'm disappointed that they said that there's probably never gonna it's probably never gonna be used elsewhere oh, wow. other than the fact that we can use it in in guild halls. Um, I'm really hoping that uh, if we ever get World Three, did you? There you go. Did you see uh, how people are bugging it? No. Oh yes. Okay, so if you yes. if you take a portal, so you use the skill and then there's a slight delay to it launching. If you take a portal, the skill still goes off with the original attach point. So suddenly oh, your 10,000 range. I think they finally cuz they also figured out you can do it with a waypoint. So you can portal and the waypoint and make it like 28,000 units, I think is what it worked out to. Uh, so there are people launching into the sky, out of maps, <laughs> things like that. So I think I think it has to be like part of the reason they they did it this way. That has to be like within a contained area, or you're going to get in a lot of trouble very quickly. I mean, I guess, but eh. I I feel like that kind of happened with gliding too. And like, yes, they went back and added some invisible walls, but also. You know, they kind of just accepted that, yeah, masteries are going to kind of break some of the old world, and we're fine mm-hmm. with that. I don't know. That yeah, is I, don't know. I would be down. I would be really, really happy if they 
did decide like do, do with gliding due to popular opinion that this mastery should be in other maps as well it was so um it really brought back that feeling I, I don't think i think i said to you guys but probably not on the show that um you know recently i've been playing breath of the wild and one of the coolest things about that game is that you can pick any place as long as it's not raining and go i want to climb up that thing and you can just go do it and there's you know there's nothing stopping you so you know in in draconis mons you pick a direction you point at and you go i want to go there and then you do and it's it's just really cool that that sort of freedom of exploration like that also i'm going to take just a moment to say screw the rain in breath of the wild so so maddening <laughs> um, jealousy you guys have a switch i don't i just got it on I have wii. A wii u yeah oh okay but anyway, back to back to the mastery. It's yeah, it's one of those things because it's not. I actually feel like it. it it's very cool on this map, but because there's so many other mobility options between, you know, being able to just glide from a higher waypoint down to a lower one, or uh, using the lava tubes, it, it like feels so in many ways unnecessary. Uh, that it's it. it it's just sort of odd, but I do really like it, and I am really sad that it's not going to be anywhere else. And maybe part of part of being sad it's not going to be used anywhere else is that I do like how it feels, and it, like I would like to see a map that uses it even more, or it lets you do weird stuff with it. So Yeah, it seems like it'd be fun to have it develop, because I think gliding's developed a lot. I think I mentioned in the last show how it really felt to me that gliding was tight and it worked better, at least in a combat application in this last fight um, with Balthazar and so on, um, than it ever had before. We were getting there with uh, Bloodstone Fen, where you've got you know gliding-oriented map, but it just felt like it came to nearly an ultimate um, evolution, or uh, what the word they always throw around it, ain't it? A final iteration. iteration. Iteration, there you go. It came to a, a, a close to final iteration where it just was so satisfying. And I think they could do the same with this, you know, put it in different maps. I'd be really sad to see it, see it go away, or not be used again. Yeah. Definitely, but, I think, uh, World 3 Super Adventure Box. I'm looking at you. In a lot of ways, it really does feel kind of like yeah. a Super Adventure Box skill, doesn't it? It does. I almost feel like maybe, like, Super Adventure Box, oh, we got a lot of stuff from Super Adventure Box. Uh, you know, with the with a the, lot of tech, a lot of the tech as far as like character movement that we have seen used in the living world as a result. Uh, and it's like I, NASA. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like it's interesting that we're getting it in the open world. Maybe that just means that we're not going to be that they're like, well, we could do the crazy stuff in that, and then you know, eventually we got jumping mushrooms in the open world and that sort of thing. So it's. So maybe it's just them saying, well, we still need to test crazy ideas and we're not doing Super Adventure Box, so we're just going to throw it in a open world and see see if it sticks. Yeah, could so, be. Yeah, I don't Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh how they continue to develop character movement and such. When I know this would be way too strong, but I saw like a guild chat or map chat or something. Somebody suggested that the Oakheart Reach should pull enemies to you, which would be hilarious. But that would be completely from broken. that range. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. That would be incredible. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what they're talking about. That's yeah. that's amazing. It's the best idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, they did finally patch out the uh, the wooden potatoes necro doom build from open world. So. Yeah. I just see what they did to I like I know the frost gun got disabled, but it also got re-enabled and reworked in this patch, which is yeah. hilarious to me. Cause uh 
I think it's kind of a not so secret thing that Arena is just like really upset that they put all those weird items in there that can break things the harpy feathers, the Ashley Jen spy kits. Like, they were really cool flavor items until players are like, you know what we can do? Break things. <laughs> yeah, you know how we're going to solve the fact that we never get any new skills? We're going to use all these karma item skills. Yeah. I feel like that you shouldn't be mad about it. Like, that's half of the fun of those sorts yeah. of things. Like, that's why you. You put them into a game is you're like we're gonna give you the tools to break game guys have fun like it, yeah but the open worlds oh god i was just gonna say in a in a multiplayer game and especially in a massive multiplayer game there is a certain extent to which it does impact other players that don't want to use it and you never want something gimmicky like that to become the norm or the standard and so like i well, I would counter again with that we're four years into the game, and how many new players are we getting? I think you need to keep your... This is kind of a different topic. Keep your player base happy, I don't know, instead of catering to new players. I mean, sure, but... Uh, yeah. Look at all the crazy random stuff that happened at the end of you know Guild Wars 1. There was some really weird, kooky stuff going on that was just going... Because the game you know, was in its later stages. And maybe Guild Wars 2 isn't in its later stages, but it feels to me like some of that goofy stuff needs to keep keep people's interests. Yeah, I'm just saying that like having stuff that completely breaks open things, especially if they affect the economy, is, you know, something that they're not going to want. So, but... Yeah, I, I would say, though, that that being open world, I don't... I mean, could you even bring it into dungeons? You You would be able to bring it into dungeons, yes. I don't know about fractals, um... I think probably yes in fractals, probably not in raids. Almost certainly okay. not in raids, because like oh, could, pretty much everything yeah. is disabled in raids, except every once in a while you find one random thing that they forgot to flag or something. <laughs> nice, the the things that end up in like dub v dub. Super adventure boombox, never take it from me. They disabled the snowball tonic. I'm so mad. I'm what still did, mad. Uh, it's it's been like months. Do? It turned you into a snowball. <laughs> And that so like there was no tactical advantage to it, not that I know of. Well, the you raid boss, oh, the raid boss is just like that's a snowball. Of snow. I'm out. Wait, are you saying that they patched out the snowball? Yeah, they did. Well, no, they oh. patched out of raids. Ruined. That was literally the only thing I enjoyed in raids was <laughs> flying up high and turning into a flying snowball. God, yep. I got out before it got ruined by mm-hmm. taking oh, out flying snowballs. Man, there you go. But now we know what uh, what. How far how far Grybok will go. Yeah, that's that's, that's my that, limit. That's... You take away my snowballs and I'm done with you. Forever. <laughs> Five ever. <laughs> oh my god, we're we're not talking at all about this map. Um <laughs> How do you feel about navigation in this map, Eric? We talked about it a little bit on the last episode and you weren't there. Uh, do you find this map to be easy to navigate around or easy to get lost in or it's, some of both? It's, it's, it's a very, I, it feels almost like a streamlined, uh, tangled depths. I think it's, I, I mean, I don't think it's that bad to navigate. I've had some difficulty when I was looking for mastery points to get the actual Spider-Man mastery. Cause I'm a, I'm a filthy casual and I just don't have enough mastery points ever. Uh, and so there was like getting into as a general rule the map is very straightforward because it's basically a big spiral around the core 
And so as a general rule, you can get it anywhere you want to go by doing that. I think the jumping puzzle, which we should probably talk about, is has got some issues from a from a directional standpoint. Um, but uh, the map itself, I feel like, was fairly was was very is very straightforward to actually navigate. There's there are some cool nooks and crannies that you can get to. Um, but, uh, at this point, I think people are getting, at least I'm used to, used enough, I am used, bleh, I use the English language good. Uh, I'm, I, I have encountered enough verticality in Guild Wars 2 that I understand how sort of they think about it when they design their verticality. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense to me at this point. So it's not as much of an issue, I would say, um, from that standpoint as maybe Tangled Depth was, which Tangled Depth still confuses me sometimes when I'm like, where do I go to get this one mastery point or this one hero point? Yeah, I, it's interesting because Tangled Depths is exactly what I said it also felt like. It's it's definitely that that verticality without being completely wide open verticality. Like, it is open in the center, but it's also the corkscrewing nature of it makes it kind of easy to get confused when you see, you know that it exists in this sort of x y coordinates but you're not sure where it exists on the z coordinate yeah um yeah like and you're like how how do i get there again yeah like i am am i on top of it am i below it is it just around this corner yeah but due to the fact that it's a corkscrew you can actually and because the center is open and you can drop down gliding you can always go to the top and just keep gliding until you're equal level with it and then you can start sort of analyzing okay that's, that's so what I how does this work so so unlike tangled depth where there's not really an easy way to like get a vis a vantage point of the map and sort of like understand it as a whole this one you can get up to the top uh to the mouth of the volcano and be like oh okay so i drop down here i go around corkscrew this way and bam i'm there uh so it's it's, excellent advice yeah it's so it's a the cylindrical nature of it makes it a lot easier to navigate than the uh than the spiderweb nature that I that I do abs- I I really like the spiderweb nature of Tangled Depths, but I still get lost in Tangled Depths, <laughs> and, and I've spent a lot of time there. It's it's like okay, do I take a left here or a right, or do I go slightly down? Is there a hidden passageway? This one, it's more like okay, I'm just gonna jump off a cliff and figure it out from there. Yeah, I don't think I truly learned my way around Tangled Depths until I had to spend a lot of time there to get my legendary before they made it easier to get the leyline sparks so i can totally understand not having put in quite enough time to understand that map's layout i do really like the placement of other masteries in this map i think that the lava tubes are both flavorful but also very functional here um i and you know jumping mushrooms and updrafts and such And, and i think that's part of why the mastery for this map felt sort of less impactful is because by the time you have all those other masteries you've already got so much vertical mobility that you know the spider-man web taking away your combat skills sort of oh like half the time i just sort of look at it and go yeah but i'm probably gonna want to fight something before i get to a place that i really want to use it yeah and that um, that made i liked that we had bouncing mushrooms and, you know, leyline stuff, and things that it felt like we hadn't really needed since maybe Bloodstone Fent. I felt good to use that stuff again. I feel like it was worth it to have it. Yeah. Yeah, the verticality of design in this in this map is some of the best I've played, it, I think, in Guild Wars. 
I'm actually trying to think MMOs that have better verticality at this point, and I'm not coming up with any off the top of my head. Yeah, I I still think Verdant Brink is still one of my favorites, just because of just how ginormous that map is in terms of verticality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's good, too, because yeah. you can sort of... Um, it's flat. The layers are well so represented. Like, yeah, you... You know, like, I want to be here or I want to be above here, right? Not like I want to be... So one of my issues with the the new map is is mostly things were okay, but um, there was a few few places I needed to get to. Like, especially when it came to doing collections, it would be like, go to Windrider Ledge. And I had to, you know, go, okay, so that's on the opposite side of the corkscrew and there's no waypoint over there. So I have to go up. I have to take the waypoint. I have to glide. And I, this is the first zone where I personally have ever been like, there are too few waypoints in this zone. There should have been at least one more waypoint in, in Draconis Mons. Like that's just my opinion. Um, I, I'm generally for the, the less waypoint style that they've been doing in the season three. But, um, this one just had too few for, especially for doing collections and things. Cause it, you would have to go up to the top layer and then you'd have to run all the way to the other side of the map or, you know, do dumb things. And then it would be like, okay, now I got to go do the next collection item. Where is that? Okay. That's over there. Oh, I, good. I have to go back to that same waypoint that I've been to 30 times before to get these stupid rocks and like go down the same path, but then take a slightly different path to get to the same thing. So that, that was frustrating for me. And I um, think that that is... There is that issue with the map. I would say for the achievement, like getting all the things, the map is frustratingly designed. I'd say just from like a pure just playing the map, though, it's is really good. And I think that there is sort of a disconnect there on some of I agree. Yeah, it was... Like, I, I enjoyed it mostly, though. Um, I really did. Um, the, yeah, the only the only thing the only thing I had an issue with was having to waypoint over and over for collections. If I'm just trying to get to an event or something, I don't really have a problem. But uh, I get irritated having to do it over and over. Um, what else? Oh, so I I think I mentioned this last week, but didn't really get a chance to talk about it. Uh, I have an alt account now. I just started a new account. It's pretty much just for raids. Like I. I don't really want to work on another account. I'd rather just put any time and effort into my main. But because I do a lot of raiding, um, I can't get rewards for it all the time that I do it. So essentially, this is just my way of like, yeah, I would like another role in the boss chest that I've killed, you know, two or three times this week. So yeah, anyway, so this account had Lake Doric, but is essentially coming into uh, Draconis Mons Fresh. And so I don't have a lot of the masteries that you guys have that make it easier to get around the map. And that was frustrating. It's the bigger issue is that I can't get the Living Story Season 3 mastery line because I have to own Ember Bay or Bloodstone Fen to actually unlock the line. So I can't even just, like, you know, train it up eventually. I have to actually own that content to to be able to unlock it, which was really frustrating. It's not uh, very accessible to me. Hmm, um, that's interesting that you have to own yeah, the so, beginning. Yeah. Huh. I was really disappointed to find that out. But on the other hand, um, uh, one thing I realized sort of after I had, I had huffed and puffed about it, how, how mad I was about it, um, 
it is pretty reasonable to buy living story chapters with in-game gold. It works out to about 50 gold per chapter. What? Um, That's it? Yeah. yeah it's only I like... could buy a chapter. Yeah, so uh, I ended up buying bitter frost because i wanted the winterberry farm to get like trinkets for raids and stuff i just, i if i had wanted to buy bloodstone fen or ember bay to get the mastery line unlocked it would have been pretty reasonable to do that with in-game gold but i don't think it's messaged very well that you could do that um it just it just looks like you have to have a real world money barrier and for 50 gold for that much content like uh you know all of draconis mons the whole story associated with that that kind of thing um yeah it, i think that's a pretty good deal yeah, I'd... wow, that's wow. Yeah, Man, so I don't feel like I have to log in anymore. No, wait. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I've said all I wanted to say about that. Just uh, that that's good bit to of a know for newer players. If if I have like people like my brother or someone who comes back into the game, I'd be possibly incentivized just to give them the gold to buy it, so we could play it together if they wanted to do that. It's, it's good to know. I mean, granted, it's going to be yeah. fifty gold per chapter. So yeah, yeah it's still. Not yeah. too bad. Yeah, that's like one weekend of me selling uh, stuff for raids to people. I'm not going to say what it is that I sell, because it's the only way I make money. And I know that it will ruin the market. Everyone will just do a rush on it if I mention it. Mm-hmm. It's it's pizzas. It, I sell pizzas. Jeez. I'm a pizza delivery boy in Guild Wars too. It's <laughs> Look, you can roleplay whatever you want, and I will not judge you publicly. privately though not on the show look i cannot (laughs) yeah i can't i can't make any more of a specific promise than that for reasons that are my own uh actually i do appreciate that's like the one thing that like people are like people complain about rating in guild wars 2 but it's it has actually created a a consumable like there's (laughs) There's various websites who shall not be named, but uh, I've talked about them before on the show, who are who are not fans of the rating in Guild Wars 2. And, uh, but one of the nicest things is that it's actually taken what was a consumable... The consumable economy was almost an at-cost thing, but now at this point, like, it's just there's enough people out there who actually buy the consumables that there is actually a profit margin to be made for them, and that is nice to have that as a thing because i enjoy that i enjoy doing that that was kind of what i did in wow for like two years was just supply consumables it was wonderful well you're speaking to somebody who has always hated the inclusion of consumables for stat benefits in guild wars and uh uh, it's okay we'll uh i mean there is there is a dark side to it and you know getting all your easter eggs in guild wars one was a frustrating thing uh, whenever they'd have one of those consumables, it's like, okay, go farm this for a weekend. It's like, oh no. So yeah, yeah, I can I can understand the frustration there, but it is kind of if you're gonna have an economy in a game and you're gonna have a crafting economy like they have in Guild Wars, that you should have something that people are gonna want to consistently buy. Otherwise, it's not an economy, and you don't need an economist to run it. It's just stuff that people can do. If that makes sense, I don't know. I feel like that was really deep, but at the same time, because it kind of wasn't. <laughs> It's just stuff that people can do. I feel like that's prime Shungaku, which is <laughs> yeah. why we need you on this show. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, we're just it's... constantly sporting the fry face of like not sure if incredibly deep or incredibly. 
Maybe both. That's how I roll Yo's hamster houses all the way and butt capes. For those of uh, you that missed yeah, that. Evie hasn't been on the show in so long to complain about butt capes. I feel like oh, Reddit does a I really good job it. of it. Like, yeah. If you guys want to hear complaints about butt capes, go read the medium legendary armor thread on Reddit, and you'll be like, oh, <laughs> oh yeah, no, there's still, people oh, still have funny. issues. Oh, oh, I mean, how how could legendary armor do anything if it's not paying homage to their strongest design aesthetic? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so true. Oh, can uh... you sense the dripping sarcasm? Yeah, I, oh, wait, you were sarcastic there? I, I mean, I was being like honest, passionately... sardonic, perhaps, <laughs> even... Oh, it is. Uh, yeah, I, I, it, yeah, it's kind of weird. I know that some people are super excited that uh, a new outfit that's coming out or is out now has like trench coats for heavy armor because it's an outfit. But the medium armor people are like, no, stop, stop. No with more the trench, trench coats. coats. <laughs> but I mean, I think, I mean, if as far as outfits go, there are non trench coat, non uh, butt cape outfits that exist. I think. Yeah. So, so I feel like I mean it exists. If you're medium armor, there are options, but you've got to dress up in uh, gem store stuff. The, the legendary armor having a butt cape—that's just that's of like they're does, poking fun at us. Because yeah, all medium true. armor has butt yeah. capes. Like, how yeah. would you expect anything else? I feel like what we really have is that whoever is in charge of design has a very specific sort of like aesthetic that they like and that they just. Don't, don't veer away from it ever. Don't veer have away we... from it much. I just realized that we might have never talked about it on the show uh, that Daniel Dochu has actually left ArenaNet. Oh, oh, when yeah. did that happen? That a while uh, ago. It was a while ago. But, uh, Six months Horia... ago? Yeah, it was oh, I a think few we months, talked about it. Maybe like maybe, four or five. I don't know. I don't know. I, don't know. I, I just remembered that, that we possibly we hadn't talked about it and that uh, the art department uh, was taking a, you know, is now under his son's... Uh, direction which is is cool it's uh, interesting to see it'll be a long time i think before we see any of the impact of that but it'd be cool if uh you know to see differences in their style eventually don't worry we'll always have butt capes well i'm sure we will always have well i don't think the dochus are necessarily the ones that are in charge of of that aesthetic though i think who is it there there's a specific like person that has worked at anet for a really long time that i'm not sure if they're still there but uh they were, it was one of the fat, they did fashion model design things. Uh, was it Katie? I want to say Katie Perry, but that is I think it's Kristen Perry. There's Kristen, Kristen Perry, Perry and Katie Hargrove yeah. were the two. Okay. So like, I feel like. Names that we knew of publicly for a long time. Yeah. I feel like that, it seems like from a lot of like the concept art that maybe uh, Katie, Katie Hargrove. Is that, is that the name? It's one of Not, them. Yeah. I feel like her, or Kristen and Perry are uh, are might have been the ones that sort of have driven the driven the the design aesthetic. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but I don't know. I mean, I guess there is something to be said for maintaining like consistency without like going down the World of Warcraft giant shoulder pads route that so many MMOs seem to go. Look, if yeah. I have to sacrifice having, like, if I have to have butt caves instead of giant dumbass shoulders, I will take that. Yeah. I, I am very opinionated about giant shoulders. So I there you them. go. 
So this Although is why someday, we play Guild Wars 2 instead of WoW. This is why yeah. we have a Guild Wars 2 podcast. <laughs> it's it's really giant true. Shoulder, giant shoulders. Giant shoulder pads. That's that's what we... And like butter knives that are supposed to be daggers. They're like buster sword daggers. Uh, <laughs> they're trowels in this game, though. Uh, oh, I have such an, I have opinions about daggers like Evie has opinions about butt capes. Well, I feel like, the da- like there's some good daggers in this game. There are some, but a lot of them are like gardening tools. That's all. Yeah, I'm I agree with that. You're not wrong. Oh my goodness, this is definitely a discussion. Yeah, I was going to say. Remember the, uh, this episode this about is definitely uh... our 200th episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this this feels right. It feels good. Hmm. <laughs> Trowels. Uh, do you guys want to talk about any of the events in the zone? Uh, any of the Has anyone killed the legendaries? Because I have not, and they I look have. fascinating. So, what are Let's those fights like? Yeah, because I haven't fought them. I mean, I fought one, and I got my face rolled, and it was glorious. But uh, what what are those fights like? Spirit, why don't you talk about it? Because you probably have a better grasp on exactly what happened. I did not um, participate in the entire fight for both of them. So, if you did them very early on you might have noticed that it was pretty much impossible to break their break bars, uh, which caused a number of problems, as you might imagine, namely that it was much harder to complete the fight because you just had to kind of power through with DPS. Um, Essentially, they work like the Wyvern Matriarch in Verdant Brink, where she's got a few basic attacks and then she channels a break bar. Um, and if you break her break bar, you get a big period of damage. And if you don't, she flies off and does damage to you without you really having a say in it. Uh, in this case, the wyverns would get a break bar and then they would rearrange the platforms they're on. So uh, you fight them on a, I don't want to say like a geyser, but like a, a hot pool. Yeah, like a, like a, it's not a paint pot. It, yeah, it's like a yeah, it's like a it's like those stones in uh what It's like a it? molten hot springs. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, it's like it's like superheated water that's up on a sort of basin that's you know, above the boiling they, water. They're using the same except at a much higher texture resolution. That same sort of thing is what you see in the What's that zone? South with Sun? the Karka. South Sun. It's like one of those South Sun uh, geysers, except much bigger, so it doesn't have necessarily like the massive focus that you get with with those where they can blow up rocks. Okay. Yeah, so, so uh, there are a number of rocks in the pool that you can stand on, and if you don't stand on those rocks, you take massive damage from the scalding water. Um, and if, if they get a break bar off successfully, they rearrange all of the safe terrain on the platform. So you can actually physically see all the rocks like breaking or forming when that happens, which is really cool. Um, and I haven't actually, like one of my disappointments with them is there's no real reward for killing both of them. Like they, if you kill one of them, the other one enrages. So there's some kind of... The idea is there that you want to kill both of them at once, but there's no real incentive. Like, you don't get a meta event completion like you would in in any of the hot zones for killing both of them. So it seems kind of strange and, like, misaligned with intent. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a cool idea. I kind of hope that they, they add something in that makes it worth doing both of them at the same time. It's cool that, uh, like, the other thing I like about it is that the event chain that spawns them 
is kind of like silver waste where it's on demand. Um, you don't have to wait for a specific time for it to come up. It just starts and then you start pushing the event chain and it pushes as fast as you can do the events. So if you have multiple groups running it, then it'll go pretty fast as you get to all the events and clear them right away. But if you are a solo player, you just got a little group of people and you're determined to get to those bosses, you can run around and, and do that too. So that's cool. That is cool. I didn't know that aspect of it. I just sort of flew down in the middle of the fight and then uh, got boiled to death a few times and then uh, yeah. <laughs> DPS. And it's then pretty shocking. Won. Like the first couple times you get exfoliated. <laughs> I, I love that achievement, by the way. That is such a good achievement. Oh yeah, I said it. I said it on the last la uh, the last episode, Eric. But literally, the first thing that I did when I got in the map, like I did not quite understand that it was boiling water. I just sort of assumed <laughs> that it was like sulfurous water. And so, within five yeah. seconds of arriving on the beach, I jumped in the water and died immediately. There you go. And then <laughs> got an call. achievement. It was great. I like, didn't do it until yeah. When when did that? I jumped in to like try and save an RO member who had just gotten on the map. And and had like somehow they had gone to try and res someone and you have that like fail res where you like go and stand in the bad to like res someone and then you die and then that someone comes <laughs> to res you and then they die. And so that's basically how I got my exfoliating achievement was I was standing in the bad. <laughs> it was like, oh, oh, OK, this is this, I'm not supposed to stand here. Yeah, this right. is this is turbo death. OK, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, see, I just wanted to like glance once more at my underwater legendary that I never get to use and uh, that's how I was rewarded so that's what you get for making underwater legendaries instant death yep there you go <laughs> you're like yeah it's a, it's a water map and maybe there's cool things that we can explore and it's like no no we've just we've given up on underwater combat yeah dark souls screen pops up and it says you died <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, well, at least it doesn't say you defeated whenever you defeat a boss, so that's good. The English is real. Oh. Uh, uh, anyway, so this map, uh, we boiled ourselves. That was one meta fight. There's uh, another one too, right, Spirit? The, like, worm lava thing? Is there yeah, a raid so... boss taken out of, like, somewhere and put into this map like we've seen before? No. Oh. Oh, you sound so disappointed. Oh, well, I, I think that was kind of cool. I liked fighting, oh, yeah. you know, the, the Unbound Guardian and Bloodstone Fen and such. Oh, yeah, and Slothosaur. They've done that twice now. And Slothosaur, yep. But no. <laughs> but no. But no. Womp womp. Yeah, uh, so each little, uh, I guess, hub heart area um, and a few other places all have small event chains that culminate in a champion. Um, for the mercenary heart, you're right, it, it does culminate in a pretty big uh, giant worm fight, but it, I would say it's not unique to that area. All of the, all, There are a lot of small event chains that, that end in a champion fight, which are pretty cool. Uh, that might be the most cinematic of them, but I think my favorite is the one... Uh, it's near the first heart of the zone, and if you follow a vigil squad that's exploring the area, they'll take you into... Uh, a pool, kind of in a hidden cave at the back. And uh, in that cave is a druid spirit who tells the vigil people to get lost or die. The vigil people uh, react as vigil people, you know, you would expect. They say, uh, no, we're not going to die. Thank you. We'll fight our way out. 
And so they send waves of nature spirits at you um, while you try to survive. And then if you survive all all the way to the end, you fight a greater nature spirit um, who, you know, doesn't have anything particularly innovative in in terms of skills uh, other than it uses oak heart reach on you to drag you in and then puts mushrooms on the ground to destroy you. So if you get pulled into the mushrooms, it's a really bad time. But uh, it was I just thought it was a really cool overall event chain, and it made me really, really sad because one of the things, like, uh, I got really into the druids, the capital D druids, not the the ranger profession, uh, on this map because... I knew them from Guild Wars 1. I knew of them, but I didn't really care about them in Guild Wars 1. They were kind of interesting. They were kind of an enigma. We didn't really know a lot about them, but that was really it. And I didn't have really strong feelings about them either way. But after having played this map, uh, and this this event chain in particular is all about how uh, this is the, you know, an ancient home of the Druid. We're invading and ruining their stuff and like one of one of the final lines of dialogue between this the druid that uh, is sending the na- these nature spirits against you and the uh anyway basically he says this is what happens when people come to our island I, we lose you lose and it hurts everyone so just go away we don't want you here which really broke my heart that was pretty sad I thought uh but it also felt really awkward like in practice to go to the island and murder all of these nature spirits that this guy sent at me in waves and then he's like everything sucks go away (laughs) that because it sets up this uh the whole zone overall has this big tension in it between uh the factions of balthazar the druids and you the pack uh, where the druids want you guys out and they're they're warily tentatively working with you to uh to achieve a, basically a common goal is like, you want balthazar out they want balthazar out so they'll tolerate you if you can help them but they don't really want to be working with you at all and it seems like um, the vigil take advantage of that <laughs> yeah well it just seems like if that that's like this is how zen died <laughs> like yeah well yeah that's that's a really good point but um it reminded me of weirdly full metal alchemist how the Ishvalan War started, where it was like there was tensions on both sides, and then there was like one one event that ignited the whole thing. And mm-hmm. if the vigil went and murdered an entire spring full of nature spirits, I would say that would trigger the the point where the na- the the druids would go and wipe everyone out, like they did with Zin. Yeah, uh, it, so it's just it's like like a weird concept thing for me. Yeah, it is a a little bit weirdly clashy with sort of the message slash. I mean, it's it's both clashy, but also fitting because that's you're sort of yeah. getting to live firsthand exactly what they're complaining about with you in the living story. But it is mm-hmm. like you said, it is kind of <laughs> it's sort of clashy where you're like, hey, we're totally the good guys. And then you're like, but I'm going to walk over in this cave and murder a bunch of your bros. But still, you know, there is a certain element, though, that I mean, the, the Tyrian heroes have never truly been like the hero. I kind of thought we'd get hit at this concept. point. Yeah, I mean, that's. It's actually one of the weird things about the story here is that your character finally does something that isn't like in Guild Wars One. the The running joke for on some level is that your character does something, 
and you don't really fix anything. You actually kind of make things worse by doing like your heroic thing. And you're just like, well, we just have to get through this thing and we're not going to consider the consequences. So, you know, we're going to release Powala Joko because we have to get through the thing is sort of like the big obvious one. And we've sort of been doing that with Killing the Dragons is like people have been bringing up along the lines is like, maybe, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. And finally, we've hit a point where our and I think that's one reason why the tension works so well here is that our characters are finally beginning to go, you know what, maybe we shouldn't fix everything by killing all of the things that are that are trying to kill us. Maybe we should figure out an alternative because killing the planet seems like a bad plan. I mean, sure, but, like, it was also kind of just a joke in Guild Wars 1 because, like, freeing Palawa Joko, even if he causes bad times for humanity in Alona, is still better than Alona being plunged into the realm of torment as a god rises and, Yeah, you know, but the thing was that they, the heroes of that game never, our players, whatever, went back and did anything about it. You'd think being, you know, the responsible sun spears that they were pretending to be, they might, you know, go back and stamp him down well and i think maybe that's actually what they tried to do because he did they did say that he pretty much just wiped the sun spears out so maybe when they went back to be like we're gonna address this they just got wrecked by by uh Pawala. so mad king uh thorn didn't uh didn't send enough you know of his army at him to make any difference yeah well i mean he was just trying to make jokes <laughs> oh boy Anyway, no, that's a that's a great event chain to talk about, Spirit. Were there uh, any other did ones? Did you guys? Uh, no, go ahead. Uh, no, I didn't finish your question. I was just just asking if you had any other ones. No, I was going to move on from events. So if you guys had other stuff to talk about, I don't mind. I think we talked about it last uh, last week, but I liked the uh, the webby the webby event and the fact that we had oh, yeah, uh, you know mocks mocks oh, yeah. rocks that's right mocks mocks. mocks. Rox it was good to see him char. again. I, I've been wanting to see. That's right. I've been wanting to see Mox back ever since we found, you know, uh, what Nova Nova. Rodanova. Nova. There we go. Rodanovas. Oh yeah, because yeah, there were all those guys. So we now have him, and he's hanging out with Webby. He actually brought Webby with him, didn't he? He did. And we yeah, killed Webby. Hey, Webby. If you later in uh, your home instance long enough, Webby will sort of run out from under Mox and. Uh... Yeah, just be in your home instance, even though you told him to say goodbye. I think that's an interesting twist on, like, the AI. Like, the AI has taken on sort of this... That's interesting, because you you are specifically the one in charge of Mox. He's like, yeah, you're totally in charge. And then he's like, oh, by the way, uh, I, I'm going to ignore certain orders. Uh, he did say goodbye, and then, you know, Webby came with him. That's that's uh, following orders to the letter. That's true. <laughs> that's... That's true, but usually you're not going to give an AI like that level of like creative thinking. Creative thinking are overly literal. Eh, count of two sides uh, of the same coin. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's great. I love. I I think it's. Yeah, no, it's great. It's a great. It's a great way to bring back sort of a fun character slash sideline side quest line thing from Guild Wars One. I am. I am liking also what they've done with uh, with the home insist that they haven't totally abandoned it, like with the cats and and the various things that you can collect and gather. Uh, yeah, actually, um, I went 
sorry, I started coughing. I went around my home instance to uh, do something with the Caledbolg sword that I had. Uh, and, you know, just sort of walking through and looking around with things, I'm really happy with how far it's come, like how many things are going on in there now. There's, I mean, a lot of it is cats, right? I have a lot of cats, but... Oh my goodness. Um, so many cats. Just in general. Really happy to see that it's like getting more populated and I've got more nodes in it. And I don't have all of this stuff, but just be because of the sheer amount of stuff that you can get for it now, um, it is starting to get really filled out for a lot of people, which is great. Um, but what I really wanted to say, though, was did you guys, uh, have you followed the story with Zinn at all in this map and what he was doing here? A little bit, but I haven't finished it. Have you done the achievement, anyone? No, um, I started it, but I haven't finished it. Okay, yeah, so it. it's not a huge, I would say it's not a huge deal, but uh, all, instead of like a lot of the other zones where it's like, go around and collect a lot of letters that tell you what went on here, but, uh, you know, they're just letters. Uh, in this zone, it's fully vi voice dialogue from Zinn giving a a recording of what he's been up to, like an audio diary from Zinn. Uh, very, very cool. I thought the the audio added a lot to the overall like understanding and impact of, of the story of it. I wish it was a little bit more accessible. It's nice that it's there for the people who wanted to explore it, but like a lot of things in Guild Wars 2, it's just sort of piecemeal all over the place. It's hard to piece together a story out of it. So what happened... Essentially, this is kind of the cliff notes, and I, I've got more. I copied all of the dialogues into the show notes, by the way, guys, if you want to read those. Um, the the essential story is that Zinn had been kicked out of, I guess, his first home, and then Rodanovis, and then uh, ended up founding or coming to a city that was uh, starting to be founded called Rada Arcanum, which is the inquest is near the inquest outpost in uh draconis mons is the name of the the zone that we've been supposed to be talking about this whole episode um when he arrived in rada arcanum uh he realized that the city wasn't really sustainable because they didn't have enough food so he started building a machine called a terraformer and all this time the druids were sort of keeping an eye on him making sure that he didn't do anything but just watchful and not approaching them. But Zinn couldn't find a good power source for his terraformer. It wasn't quite working. So he decided to siphon power off the nature spirits themselves, which was a terrible, terrible idea. Um, he imprisoned them in the vaults, which is why you find them in there when you go around doing the main story. Have to travel all over the map and find the, the druids to get the protection. And then... Uh, basically on the evening that he was going to reveal his terraformer to to everyone after he got it working, uh, and also made a potato in the shape of mocks, by the way. The, the druids showed up and killed everyone. There are no survivors left. They wiped everything out. They just wiped them out. It, uh, that's not... I would say that's not super common in, in Guild Wars lore. Or, I don't know, it just it felt more impactful than a lot of things. That the, the druids, the keepers of balance and peace, turned up and killed everyone because they were a threat to their balance. 
Yeah, that's really cool. It's also very, uh, it's a very Asuran story. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. Which, you know, uh, as a resident Asura hater, I feel like it's uh, comeuppance. But no, uh, that that's very, you're right, that's very extreme for the Guild Wars universe. And I hadn't really been thinking about this, but it sort of makes me wonder how much the druids are cognizant of the danger of killing the dragons like it's not necessarily directly related but you know in these early dialogues Zinn is talking about how his goal is to kill the dragons right and Mm -hmm. if we as players now know that killing the dragons will basically destroy the planet uh how much of that how much of them making that decision is because they are torqued off that he sort of captured the spirits and how much of it is because of you know literally maybe he could have contributed to the destruction of the planet by way of you know finding a way to kill the dragons yeah that's a a deep correlation that i hadn't thought of yeah um i've actually got some answers for you on that because there's more lore about the druids too but um before we get to that i wanted to talk about zin's tomb real quick because if you go over to, it's kind of complicated to find, but in the eastern part of the zone, there's a series, or western rather, there's a series of caves called Golemancer's Tomb, I think. And within that, you can actually find Zin's grave. I find it kind of interesting that there is a grave for Zin when the druid showed up and wiped out everyone. Um, I, I'm curious who built it. I think it might be Mox. Uh, I'm not entirely certain, but mm-hmm. Mox seems like the only survivor. The interesting thing that I find about his grave is that his epitaph... Uh, well, first of all, uh, random Guild Wars trivia, it was misspelled, misspelled when it came out. It said, uh, here lies Zin, his genius knew no B-O-V-N-S. So people are like, what the heck is a Bovins? Like, what... Is this a misspelling? Is it permanent? Like, you know, a deliberate typo? Arena does weird things like that sometimes. Uh, they fixed the texture in this patch. So now it, it properly says his genius knew no bounds. But the interesting thing... Bobbins, <laughs> yeah. I kind of like that idea too. Yeah. But uh, the really interesting thing to me, and I don't, I don't have an answer to this, is the tomb, the writing on the tomb is Ascalonian. Which really? uh, I have some questions about. Who who wrote that? Why wasn't it a certain? Is you know, does Mox speak multiple languages? I think he could probably well, speak Ascalonian. But why would he write it in Ascalonian? Right, because Mox was your Ascalonian character's friend in Guild Wars One. Yeah, and he's like, I'm gonna represent. Well, then he could have written it in Canton if your Guild Wars One character was Canton. Nope. No, just kidding. I, yeah, you're you're totally right. It only that only works if you're a proxy so, character. It, it would actually work though, maybe if you go back to the uh, early druid concept, because aren't the druids humans that uh, transformed? Yes. Or yeah. So maybe they buried him. Maybe they were like, we have to do this, but we don't we don't enjoy it. We're not doing this because it's like we're gonna kill you and we hate you. We're doing it because we have to stop you because you are a danger to everything literally going to destroy the world yeah could be well that depends i guess spirit because you were saying that you actually had some answers on that does that does that factor into later answers or is that 
Uh, uh, I'm not sure I have uh, answers for that specifically. Ah, okay. Uh, but I do have some information about the druids that I definitely want to talk about. So have you guys uh, worked on the druid backpack collection at all? A little bit. Nope. Just a little. I think I've gotten like two of the things. I talked to Rosewood just recently, but apparently they have a lot more dialogue. The, yeah, sorry, uh, I had to fix my blinds because the sun okay. was going directly into my eyeball. Um, so you go for various achievements. By the way, if you if you think you're ever going to do this backpack achievement, don't bother doing any of the achievements in the zone because the it's almost it would have been like a better meta achievement, or it feels like it should have been a quest that you could have taken that goes through the whole zone uh, because. Yeah, I don't know. It just it just irritated me that it wasn't a quest, right? Like, yeah, Guild Wars 2 doesn't have any quests, but in some cases it really should have because quests are a really useful mechanism of, like, first of all, telling stories, but also organizing things. Like, when you want to go understand a story, but you don't want to have to open up your achievements panel 87 times so that you know what the next thing is, it would have been really nice just to have a quest yeah. log. Okay. <laughs> but that annoyance aside, it was a really cool tour of the zone, but also a way of understanding the zone. So you start out by going to each of the druid spirits and you say, I'm interested in learning more about you. Let's uh, allow me to commune with you and help you run the island, help you uh, push your agenda around the world, help keep elements in balance, and, uh, you know, in exchange, teach me your ways. So they all start very hesitant with you, but each major druid spirit there's four of them has a story about the history of the druids um from their creation to what they've been doing since guild wars one to the the island itself and how they how they feel about current events in general and you get each you get a deeper version of each tier the farther into the collection you go so um Kodama, who is sort of the, the main druid running this collection for you, uh, tells you about the history of the druid. And he says that druids transformed in a ritual between beneath the full moon, which was amazing to them at the time. Like, they didn't expect that this would happen to them, but uh, they were devout followers of Melandru and vowed to eternally be the defenders of unspoiled natures. So it wasn't just... The druids that were there at the time, though, uh, more were created over the time and came to the Henge. And he says Henge with a capital H. So we can assume it was probably Denravi, but it, it's not mentioned specifically. So it's possible that there was another Henge out there. I think it's safe to assume it was Denravi, like just given Guild Wars 1. Probably. Yeah. Uh, so after a time of becoming druids, they sense changes in the very bedrock of Tyria, and some of them went off to the mists, and others chose to continue creating uh, balance in nature. So when the unbalancing of Tyria started happening, they sp started spreading out to all the corners of the world and tending gardens. So this would be when uh, Draconis Mons was founded. He also says, Kodama also says at the very end, that they once you, you've really gotten to know him, he says, you've earned the right to know that we have lost contact with Melandru. Once she guide us, guided us and we worshipped her, some still do, but she is long a mystery to many of us. 
And he also says that the creatures on the island, uh, the destroyers, scare us. Our home has been invaded and twisted by the dragon and its followers. The sooner you leave, the sooner balance will return. So that's hmm. cool. That uh, I think is very t- very interesting that the druids themselves no longer have contact with Melandria yeah. either. This makes me think that it's very possible. This makes me think less in the, the theory that, you know, Balthazar's gone rogue. Because if Melandria's lost contract, contact and Balthazar is already saying, you know, I don't find honor in war, and he's basically saying I'm no longer the god of war that you thought I was, why should Melandra care about nature anymore? It seems like the druids do more than perhaps she does. I mean, yeah, but Balthazar's always been sort of one of the more hot-headed gods, too. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. It's it's hard to say because we've never really had a player relationship with Melandru. Um, it's it's hard to say. I guess it makes sense though because, well, I don't know. We if we the guys know are that, working together, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We we know that you know humans have lost contact with the gods for quite a while. So in a way, that may just sort of mean that the gods have been prevented from or speaking with us or or that they left or i mean you know it sort of really just ties in with the same thing that we already knew it just sort of confirms that it wasn't just the humans that lost contact with them well and it is interesting because the the gods did say that they were distancing themselves after nightfall sure so it's almost like they knew right before you know primordius was gonna wake up they knew that something was happening and they were like we're we're peacing out but we're gonna basically make it sound like we are uh we're actually you know totally cool we're just letting you guys stand on your own and it was actually nope we're terrified we're out yeah i mean it could be that or just given the fact that all of nightfall was about a you know rogue god waking up and escaping that maybe they were just like you know maybe we cause more problems than it's worth uh yeah it's hard to say motivations of the god well that just makes me think Mm. It makes me wonder how uh, uh, Cormier fits into all of this. Yeah, because she's yeah, because she's going to have a context that's very different than the other deities. Yeah, like it's interesting that she's just sort of going along with it. It does it does raise a question of how much of a god is the mantle or is the person behind the mantle? Like is because Cormier? Well, I mean, Cormier, I guess, has always been sort of prone to making bad you know, decisions. Wait. Yeah, and and self-serving in that way too, on some level. Like everything she's done has sort of like made her situation better, while you know risking the entire universe, which I think is an interesting sort of state to be in. So she's just like uh, a player character. Uh, kinda, yeah, a little yeah. bit. There is there is definitely an element there where the players have definitely risked the universe to make their own lives better. Maybe that's why players hate Cormier, because it's like looking into the reflection. Yeah, I think that there's also, like, I think a lot of the player hate for characters is that you get a character with a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of, like, you can see their character changing and stuff, but your character never changes in relation to how that character is changing until, like, a prescribed plot point, and you're like, oh, now I am supposed to think of you differently, uh, if that makes sense. So you, you, it's harder to get the character development that you're looking for, and so you're seeing these other things get character development, and you're you're not your character's not moving but that's that's sort of a very side note that's what we do on relics of war 
<laughs> we go down bunny trails like the Azura who have bunny ears because they're giant gremlin bunnies. I don't know bunny ears. I guess we also sing bunnies. great songs here. <laughs> yeah, that's something you don't get on uh, Hunter's podcast. That's right, Hunter, calling you out. You need to sing more. <laughs> uh, was that it for the druids? Did we bunny trail off into ob- oblivion? There's a couple more things okay, I want to hit. Oh, yeah. So there's a different druid. There's there's four total. The second druid uh, tells you about the history of Draconis Melon. He says, it's older than it may seem. It started as a proto-island being formed by volcanic activity under the waves. So the druids created a hollow within a volcano at the bottom of the sea, and it was peaceful and hidden you know, well away from anyone. But the changes of Tyria, and especially when Primordus awoke, the volcano's interior became active and grew. And so Draconis Mons actually emerged from the waves at that time. So that also opened up to vulnerabilities. So that's when Zinn came in and he wanted to, basically he just recaps what happened to Zinn at that point. He came in, sought to grow things in the garden that didn't belong, and they stole magic from the very bodies of the druids. And they... He says that they de- they demonstrated the consequences of his actions to him, which is code for murdered all of them brutally. Hey, we don't know that it was brutal. It might I mean, quick. we do. We heard the last voice recording, and all there was was screaming and Mox being like, oh no. Okay, so yeah, maybe maybe it was brutal. <laughs> maybe Asura just wimps. But it also shows that... It's, it's again that whole... You know, the druids don't have any power over the dragons type deal. You know, they were sacred and hidden away until, you know, a dragon lifted them up, even if it was inadvertently. That's true. I wonder um, what they called it before it was Draconis Mons. Underwaterous Mons. I don't know. <laughs> Did we talk about, by the way, not to totally bunny trail off into another thing while I'm trying to get through these druids, but do we talk about the parallels with Mars? I don't think we talked about it. It was in the show notes last time, but we didn't talk about it. Okay, so Draconis Mons is kind of a reference to Olympus Mons, which is the biggest mountain on Mars. Mars being also the god of war, which I thought was a cool tie-in. I feel like there was a third thing that I'm forgetting that also related to it, but I don't remember what it was. Yeah, that was that's a pretty cool tie-in that I never would have caught. I just sort of assumed that it was a overly literal name that sounded kind of silly dragon mound but uh it's a good connection tie into the story elements yeah uh but to get back i'm gonna i'm just gonna finish the last two druids okay and then you guys can talk so just to make sure that i get through them and don't forget them because i love them so much um the third druid talks about uh how they were trying to maintain balance in the garden and they somehow have contact with other druids across the world so this druid in particular didn't come from this garden he came from across Tyria to help them maintain balance in this garden because it was the biggest threat to them at the time its destruction was their biggest concern yeah um the isolation of jacronos mons hurt they like they they built it isolated so nobody could come in, but the isolation also hurt them, he says, because they couldn't reach out for help as easily. And then once you get to know him more, he says, this is not my home. I came from the East hoping to bring this place back into balance after the arrival of Zinn. One day I hope it will be at peace and I can return home. 
And then he says, I still long for those gentle waterfalls, windy cliffs, and of course, my tree. Its lofty branches and mushroom ledges brought me so close to the sun's rays. Um, which I think is a reference to Deirdre's garden in Mount Maelstrom. So oh, we can yeah. figure out where this guy came from. Yeah, wow. that would be. That's like straight up. Yeah. That and is, then the... uh, I was going to say that that is something I was thinking about when we were talking about these places of sort of natural beauty and whatnot that the uh, druids sort of set up anyway continuing yeah and then the the last druid has i think the most relevant answers for you guys because you're asking before how they how they perceive what we're doing so he says first primordis came bringing fire to the forefront and setting the elements out of balance this we would combat by elevating the other elements to main maintain balance so they when Primordis got there, the druids were still able to maintain balance by elevating the other elements, but it was still causing them problems. Then Balthazar arrived, and fire was too strong for them to balance. The, other, the connection to the other druids has been weakened, and they fear the worst, that no help is on the way, so that they won't be able to balance this anymore. And he says, as our kind slowly dies out, the presence of the god continues to wane. Who will be left to defend our gardens to tend to nature itself? And you, Dragon Slayer, are not her friend. Your field of vision is too small, and your actions wound her. You've shown us that you care, but care is not enough. Your actions must start to heal the wounds of Tyria instead of causing more of them. Ooh. Okay. That's an interesting, like, it's basically like they're they're directly, I mean, from a narrative standpoint, it's almost like they're directly addressing that criticism of the heroes of Tyria tend to make things worse than, worse than, instead of better. I mean, like, I don't know. I, I think I have a pet peeve for that kind of storytelling mechanic where, or like, I don't have a pet peeve that it exists, but I have a pet peeve when people try and like moralize about it because it's like, well, you're doing the best that you have with the information that you have. And if like these damn druids knew that what we were doing was destroying the world, then maybe they should have said something like, I don't know. Yeah. I uh, Yeah. Maybe they should have popped up and been like, hey, hey guys, dude. I mean, and it's an interesting. Uh, I mean, there is the interesting counter of what uh, Traherne did in when he purified Or. Uh, maybe we need to go back to that because that was a dragon minion using dragon power essentially from a dragon general to purify Or and make it planty, which is like the dragon. I wonder if he didn't actually purify Or. If he just like converted it to Mordremoth. Yeah, I sure. wonder. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there that would make this episode even longer. <laughs> That's true. We're already getting we're already up to an hour twenty. Yeah, about that. This is right and appropriate. Well it is episode two hundred, so what did you expect? Yeah. It's true. <laughs> Gotta go for a while. I mean there are also four of us. Yeah. No, but that's an it is an interesting tie in no matter how long it takes to talk about. Um I, I kinda hope they revisit that at some point where, you know, we do see what, what's happening with Orr. I wouldn't mind at this point if, you know, those maps were revamped and we saw them new and had new objectives and things on them. Or maybe getting another map that uh, yeah. sort of shows how it's changed. I That'd wouldn't mind that. would probably be the better in between. Yeah. But yeah, I think you make a good point, Grybok, that, yeah, why weren't the... Uh, if the druids knew that Diskilling Dragons were bad, why didn't they tell anyone before, you know, things got out of hand? Yeah, yeah, it's just like... Yeah, anyway, it's... It's all it's all well and good to like have hindsight or to have people that know more like be able to tell you that things went wrong, but like you can only 
there's only so much you can judge when you're yeah. talking about world ending issues and limited knowledge especially when you yeah. have that knowledge and then are judgy about it i am judgy about us releasing poala joko but also kind of joyful because he's hilarious that's true <laughs> the most hilarious genocidal maniac yeah. ever to be risen again yeah well, i think i got everything that i wanted to say in do you guys have anything, any remaining thoughts about the zone? Oh, Eric, you wanted to talk about the jumping puzzle. Yeah, uh, the jumping puzzle was interesting. Uh, how? I'm assuming most Rybok Spirit, have you guys completed it? Brabin? I don't know if... I don't even know where it is. It. I yeah. actually haven't. I have no idea where it is. Okay. Uh, Spirit, did you finish it? Yes. Okay. Um, it is an interesting jumping puzzle. It is... I got, I found the jumping puzzle, and I was like, okay, cool, I'm doing this jumping puzzle, and then I got to this point, point. I'm like... Of course you did. Yeah, well, yeah, I didn't have the mastery yet either, so I go around this thing, I'm doing all this jumping and stuff, and I'm like, this is clearly a jumping puzzle because of how they laid out, you know, the rocks and stuff, and it's like, these rocks are slightly different colors, and they make steps, so clearly, jumping puzzle. Uh, so I got to the point where, basically, you had to jump off and use your, the pull ability... But there was no direction, and that was really what was kind of frustrating about this jumping puzzle, is there's a lot of good parts to it, but there's also a lot of parts where it's basically just jump off a cliff in a direction, and if and if you miss it, you have to really quickly click go back to the uh, to the waypoint. And actually, you don't even get to the first waypoint. At, you have to do like two blind jumps before you get to the first like save spot so it's i'm not a fan of the blind jumps like i would have preferred or direction and something that focuses more on your skill or your ability to sort of guide much like the uh the one that i st i still haven't finished the the chalice of tears i i really need to finish that one but that one was i just like that one conceptually i, I still haven't done it because life um, and I don't have the, just that amount of time to really devote to that single task. Um, so it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. I don't like the blind jumps in it. Other than that, I so thought that a lot of stuff was interesting. There are actually, I would say more than Chalice of Tears. There are actually some guides to help you through it. There's two things that you really need to look out for if you're going to do that jumping puzzle. And once I figured them out... I was able to do it without a guide. Um, so the first one is greenery. Any greenery you see around, you should try and make your way towards that. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, the greenery does help. Although there were a few times where I was like, I'm standing on the greenery, and then I'm like, oh, I have to go through the greenery to a hidden hole. Okay. Yeah, that was a little bit like those weird things hidden behind bushes, I think were a little bit tough. But uh, the other thing is when usually when you have to make a big jump there will be a skeleton around somewhere and the skeleton will be pointing in the direction that you need to go yeah that is helpful uh the skeleton is not super clear but he did yeah the skeleton once i knew about the skeletons that did help with a few of the blind jumps there are still a f there's still a few things that are just frustratingly designed in that dungeon in that thing and as much as i i generally enjoy jumping puzzles this one was not the one that... Ah, I'm not sure if I enjoyed this one. Like, this is one that I'm not, like, sure if I'll ever repeat because it just it frustrated me from Fair just enough. a 
functional standpoint, which is unusual. Like, I didn't get the joy of geometry with this one. I got the, okay, I do this thing. It, it was almost like a checklist of things. And then you, like, go around a blind corner and all of a sudden, uh, you know, you're hit by lightning and you get insta-killed. And I, I read a few things lightning? where people... Yeah, there's a there's a stream of lightning. I didn't get killed by it, but I read about people who got killed by the lightning. There's a Never point where you that. so if you there is a point where you drop straight down the uh, the little skeletons pointing down. You drop down and you're supposed to sort of curve around onto this horn that's sticking up. There's mm-hmm. lightning that comes out right at that point, like right over the horn, so that if you're dropping down and going straight to it, you the most efficient route to it that is easy has this lightning that flashes, and it can kill you. And that killing you will send you to a waypoint, which is outside of the jumping puzzle, which will then remove your your uh, checkpoint, because you went outside the jumping puzzle. And you can't use the skill, the checkpoint skill, when you're dead. So, I it yeah, there's, there's just some frustrating design decisions. Like, you didn't need that lightning to exist. Uh, and I got knocked down by it several times to the point where I had to use a uh, use a charge of my uh, ropey thing, but I couldn't then complete the jumping puzzle because I got to a point where I needed the ropey thing, and I had already used all three charges getting to that point. And that that was also like there's also this weird like uh, resource management mechanic which didn't feel it didn't feel natural. It was like, okay, you're, you're now just like pushing me to the app. Like you're making me fail repeatedly to like perfect thing. And the Spider-Man stuff was just kind of not always like you had to really get in a specific position and you had to trial and error to figure it out. Yeah. So I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So it kind of makes me on a negative standpoint, but yeah. Kind of makes me feel like they finally re- made a jump-in puzzle that has gone beyond your normal skill level. What you're describing is kind of how I feel in jump-in puzzles. And you're just like, no, it's here. It's da-da-da-da. Yeah, it's not even like... But the, the problem is it's not a skill level thing. It's like a... Most of my frustrations with it were I have to put my reticle on a very specific spot because otherwise my character will accidentally hit a side piece of geometry while I'm Spider-Manning towards it, and that will knock my character down, and then my character... Like, it's not even, like, a technical, like... I mean, I figured it out so I can do it now, but it's... Like, you have to... Eh. It didn't feel like it was a skill-based thing, in all honesty, that frustrated me. It was more like a weird, weird knowing thing so that you could just do it. Hmm. There was a few things that were. Oh, go ahead, Spirit. I didn't. I didn't really have any of those problems. I, there was maybe one location that I was like, "Oh no, I need a, I need one more uh, Oakheart Essence to get past this point." So I need to rework the path that I was taking so that I have that charge for the last, uh, the last thing. But it felt yeah. very. Um, it felt very natural. Like, it was a natural progression. Like, you, you would go to the first waypoint, and there was a lot of leeway with your Oakheart Essence. And then the further in you got, the more checkpoints in you got. And there, I think there's only, like, three checkpoints. There's So it's, it comes in quarters. Um, uh, yeah, it just seems like it, it got more uh, resource management intensive the farther in you got. But I, I don't know. Yeah. I enjoyed that aspect of it. And I liked... Okay. So one thing that I think... Uh, we didn't talk about enough is the checkpoints because when you decide that you've messed up, you can use a special actions 
skill to zip yourself back to the previous checkpoint. You don't have to like go to the waypoint and run all the way back up. You you have control over that that sort of cycle. Yeah. I I hmm. I do like the control that you have there. I would have preferred maybe one more checkpoint in that entire thing. But uh yeah, I mean it's not hmm. Okay, I'm glad that I'm glad that there that you enjoyed it because it it was weirdly frustrating for me. And maybe it's always because I'm always running up nowadays against like the the time limits of life in general, and so it's like okay, I have X amount of time to do this thing, and it's like okay, I don't have time to figure it out. I have to be doing it, but then I have and I want to get it done and I want to experience it, but I have you know a half hour to do it in and it's it's not a half hour to figure out jumping puzzle yeah i i admit that i i discovered it i was looking for um i needed like one more achievement for the meta achievement and so i just wanted one to get my my hound skin mantle piece and it was right sort of before bedtime and i didn't i thought from the name of the achievement that it was for gliding up the central portion of Draconis Mons without ever touching the ground. So I was originally trying to do that. Couldn't make it work, so I went up to the top to try and reverse engineer it, and that's how I found it, was climbing up the the top. And I got there, started following a couple people to the start of it, and realized what it was, and then I kind of like under my breath muttered, oh no, and Christian was like, what, what's the matter? like it's bedtime and i just started a josh foreman jumping puzzle i was like well you can stop and i was like no i need to get this yeah I, just wait until you feel oh, that with a dark souls oh. boss that you can't beat <laughs> oh boy i was already up I way too late say, one night yeah this i will say actually I, at part way through i was like this feels like i'm doing bonfires in dark souls one oh. <laughs> so like i i i feel really sad or bad saying this but i just have not been enjoying the direction of the new jumping puzzles um the last like few i just i i usually am one the one complaining about jumping puzzles because i'm not as good as shungaku at them but yeah. i really like chalice of tears that's that's the awful one in the volcano island right yeah i think so I, yeah i think that one's i think that one's actually a really good jumping puzzle because it's once you figure out how to get in it you know where to go like you're looking at it, you're like okay i can build this in my head the this one yeah i i didn't like the blind corners i guess is really just sort of what put me off yeah i i don't know i really i think that i don't, i i obviously had a really bad experience in the chalice of tears um but like i think there's a certain extent to which making these jumping puzzles so massive and so like punishing for every jump that you need checkpoints is not really the direction that i like the jumping puzzles to go in i guess and i don't know uh maybe it's just me it's uh it's kind of sad because i really like jumping puzzles in general and it's not that i can't do them but i just i haven't really had fun in a lot of the later jump in a lot of the latest jumping puzzles i feel like a lot of the time they're sort of just chasing this like have to be more extreme than the other jumping puzzles before it and that's not i don't know Maybe I I'm think an old buddy-duddy. Well, I think Josh Foreman's trying to sort of push himself as far as from a design standpoint, because the ones that tend to be the most frustrating at this point are, are the Josh Foreman uh, puzzles. Like, the other ones tend to be a little bit more laid back uh, that we've seen in the new zones, 
Um, but I lo- so, but that's the thing is I I I liked Josh Foreman's like original jumping puzzles. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, I I I would like to get a little bit more back to geometry centric jumping puzzles rather than these like extreme jumps with you know doing a triple lutz hamel camel <laughs> sow cow thing halfway through yeah yeah and i think and, and, and a, part of and it may just camel. part of it may just be um not intentional you know the but i i felt like in the chalice of tears there were a few places where the jump was like so tight and there were really wonky edges that looked like you should be able to stand on them and you just like slide off and you know stuff like that and i didn't feel that it was messaged very clearly that you needed to get every single checkpoint in order for it to like count and so having missed one or two of the early ones and then finding out like 85 percent of the way through the puzzle that it wasn't going to count was just about the most infuriating thing ever um, yeah i could see that be oh yeah because like because i didn't read a guide like so yeah anyway whatever I don't want to try yeah, and do a the, huge gripe about yeah. jumping puzzles, but... So we spent 30 minutes. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say the folks that I was with when I was in the map were, oh, you got to get this checkpoint. So, yeah, I knew that, too. So that is a kind of a frustrating aspect. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's what I mean. It's like so. it's like the messaging. Like, if you're going to have requirements like that, then you need to message it better than, like, I hope you looked it up on the wiki or else you might have just wasted two hours of your life. Like, you know, I don't know. But... Whatever. That is, I think that is sort of the issue that I've had with the with with those jumping puzzles is the messaging is getting a little bit obfuscated, and I'm not sure. And I think it's purposeful. I, I mean, it's it, yeah, it's got to be purposeful just with how clear that is. I don't know if maybe that's just sort of what what they're going for. I, I, probably, I think it is sort of like an obfuscated, like, hey, if you guys want to do this, we're going to give you guys some pretty crazy stuff. We've given you, you know, if you want to do other jumping puzzles, we have a ton of other ones that you can go do. And it is fun to go back and redo jumping puzzles, although gliding has broken quite a few of them at this point. Although you can still do them properly if you want. So, yeah, that is, uh, yeah, I don't know. Interesting to see where they go with it. I feel like hopefully they can work on messaging is, is the main thing that I'd like to see. Make it a bit clearer what you're doing and sort of how to approach it do we have a cast cast this this week i have a cast uh, cast i think that means you get to say it eric oh no 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 i'm leaving okay. that to spirit hello and welcome to cast cast the podcast about the podcast hold on hello and welcome to cast cast the podcast about the cast of other podcasts the style cast of other podcasts this week on cast cast is all about us because we made it to freaking episode 200 good job us. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan, for starting the podcast. That's yes. right. Did you actually have a cast cast, Eric, or was it the cast cast to oh, us? I, no, I, I, well, there is that. But no, actually, uh, we have, uh, my cast cast is that we have started up a custom Minecraft uh, server, and it we've got like five people on it right now, but theoretically I can put more on there. So if people in the guild are interested in uh, doing some Minecraft, check it out on our, uh, check out all the info on our, uh, uh, I keep wanting to just call it the drudge, but th- that is a conservative Discord? news site. Discord. There we go. Wow. How Discord. do you like those two? 
There's a D at the beginning. It's like revenants and reapers are the same okay. thing as a radiator. And radiators, yeah. I operate off of single letters. Everything is the same <laughs> if it starts. There, like There better be no R <laughs> professions in the next X-Pack or Eric's just going to explode. Uh, I, I actually hope that there are. Just just because. I... You hope that there are. Yeah. R. Uh... Uh, I hope it's a pirate. The relics of R. Relics of R. So there we go. That's my cast cast. We've got a Minecraft. We've got actually two Minecraft servers. We've got a vanilla and a uh, and a modded. So feel free to pick. Come play with us in Minecraft. I've been doing that way more than Guild Wars Two of late, and it's been glorious. Alrighty. Well, thank you everybody for being on the show and for listening. Of course. It's always good to talk to uh, Eric, and thank you. I know that you are super busy in your real life right now. What with your upcoming nuptials? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so thanks for taking some time and doing some podcasting with us on this momentous occasion. And yeah, thank, you, thank you, Spirit and Brabin, as always, for showing up and talking about this game and being lovely co-hosts that are knowledgeable and uh, like to talk about all this stuff. Well, it's and... fun to nerd out sometimes, and if people on the internet want to listen to us nerd out uh, awkwardly, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Hello, and on bro. that note, thank you, everybody, who is listening, and uh, we will be back soonish. Yeah, we still haven't talked about the uh, balance patch that just hit. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's a preview. And with that... <laughs> we are calling it a wrap. This has been another episode of Relics of War. If you want to get in touch with us, you can check out our website and forums at relicsofor.com, email us at relicsofor at gmail.com, or find us on your favorite social media site just by searching Relics of ORR. If you'd like to join us in-game, you can send a whisper or in-game mail to Spiritface, or drop us a note on Twitter or our website and say hi. Lastly, if you listen to the podcast on iTunes, feel free to leave us a comment and the rating you feel we deserve. <laughs>